This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are recapping a tough weekend for East Carolina's men's basketball team. The Pirates go 0-2. Losing to Memphis on Saturday, 66 to 59, and then falling to SMU just two days later on Monday, 71 to 56. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Flying solo today for our quick pod. Uh, we've got your questions coming up on HoistTheColors.net from this morning. Uh, but first, wanted to take a look back, give my thoughts on the two losses uh, for ECU basketball. And again, this is a, before we dive into it, it's important to remember this three-game stretch it was an absolute gauntlet for head coach Joe Dooley and his team. I mean, you look at it on the surface, you're playing the number five team in America this past Wednesday at home in the Houston Cougars. You go to Memphis, a team that you just lost to by 27 three days later on Saturday, and then you have to turn around and play SMU, come home uh, on Monday at an awkward 5 p.m. tip time. And to play probably the three most talented teams in the conference, of of course we know how good Houston is. You know, a lot of people thought this stretch would be 0-3. ECU, of course, starts up with a bang with the win over Houston. And I think at that point there was so much excitement around the team Uh, The hope was, hey, maybe ECU can continue this, maybe steal one of these next two games against SMU or against Memphis. Unfortunately, despite battling in both games and really having a shot to win both games, they led Memphis inside of four minutes on the road at FedEx Forum. Uh, They tied SMU 49-49, I think with 8-23 remaining. They had chances to win both games, but just couldn't get it done on the offensive end, that'll be the theme of this podcast for sure going forward. But I think the most disappointing thing for Pirate fans is you get a big win like the Houston win, and even though there was nobody inside Menji's Coliseum, you could feel the energy. You could see how hungry Pirate Nation is for a winner, especially in basketball. It's been so long. It's really never happened. And the interaction on social media, uh, the excitement around town after that win over Houston, it was at a fever pitch despite fans not being at the game. And Unfortunately, now you lose two in a row, and it kind of lets the steam out of the air. And uh, I think, unfortunately, ECU is a victim of a tough schedule. You know, when they could have won some games earlier in conference play that were more winnable, you know, they had some deals with COVID. They just didn't play well. And now, unfortunately, you're up against it with the schedule, and you face three of the best teams in the league, probably the three best teams back-to-back-to-back. And now you got to continue this stretch. I mean, you go uh, doubleheader against Temple, a noon start on Thursday, which is a, another quick turnaround. Then you come back and play Saturday against the same team. And then you got to go to Houston next week. So it doesn't get any easier from here. Uh, we'll dive maybe a little bit into Temple later on, and we'll get to your questions shortly. But, of course, the big thing with these last two games, I mean, it's really simple for ECU basketball. If you can't shoot, you can't win. 
in college basketball these days. And, and in the past two games, ECU couldn't shoot. Against Houston, they shot the ball extremely well, and they won. I mean, it's really that simple. And, you know, it, it's, it's very easy to figure out. Um, because against Houston, ECU made some contested threes, but when they were open, they made the shot more times than not. Against Memphis and against SMU, there were a ton of open looks, especially from the three-point line, that guys just clanked off the iron. And and when you can't make open threes, it just takes the it, it takes so much out of the sales. Uh, it it just puts so much pressure on your defense and to be good in other areas of the game. And uh, you just can't beat teams like Memphis and SMU when you're hitting one or two three pointers. So some numbers, of course, the Houston game. I mean, ECU shot out of his mind. 11 of 24, a very high percentage, nearly 50% from three-point range. Of course, they're not going to do that every single game. You know, we know that. We knew that if they were going to beat Houston, they had to shoot lights out, and Houston had had to have an off night just to have a shot. Both those things happened. Unfortunately, ECU, which had been a poor three-point shooting team in conference play going into that game, has since regressed to the mean. They go 1 of 13 from three-point range against Memphis and 2 of 14 last night against SMU. That is 3 of 27 over the past two games from three-point range, and uh, it's tough to do much worse, quite honestly. So, uh, you know, outside of J.J. Miles stepping up and hitting a couple threes last night in the SMU game, it's just been – it was rough to watch. I mean, just a lot of wide-open threes that just didn't go down. Guys passing up open threes, struggling with confidence, and – you know, I, I think ECU is better than the 3-for-27. I don't think they're as good as the 11-for-24, but they have to find a way to find a middle ground. I mean, you can't just go either red hot or ice cold. you got to find a way to go maybe, hey, let, let's let's go 5-of-16 or, you know, 6-of-18 or something like that when they're not hitting all their threes. It's just you can't have a night where you just completely crap the bed, so to speak, from three-point range because no matter how good you do defensively, and ECU has played well defensively the past two games, well enough to win. You can't overcome that unless you just play flawlessly inside the arc, and that just didn't happen last night either. Uh, ECU not only struggled from three-point range, but was largely horrific uh, on field goal attempts in general. They shoot just 30.2% from the floor. Uh, Again, uh, a very poor 14% from three-point range. You contrast that to to SMU, which shot 43% from the floor, uh, SMU really struggled from three, four, 22 for 18 percent, but their efficiency uh, to get in the paint and to convert some easy buckets when ECU really had to work for everything—that was the difference last night. Uh, again, Jaden Gardner continues to play out of his mind. I think this is now five straight games with 20 or more points. He has completely gotten it going. 23 and nine last night. Um, Whatever whatever struggles he was facing early in conference play, he has gotten it going. Joe Dooley did say he's more of a rhythm, you know, a rhythm-oriented player. He really needs a routine, and I think playing these games in a short amount of time, not having any more pauses, etc., has really helped Jaden get back on his game. He goes 11 of 13 from the free throw line last night. Um, JJ Miles scores 11, but he was the only other part in double figures. Another off game. For Tristan Newton, he played 28 minutes, uh, only 2 of 6 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3-point range, just 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 7 points. 
Um, and they're putting the ball more in Tristan's hands as the point guard now and trying to get him going. I thought he had a better performance against Memphis, but again, continues to struggle with confidence on a game-in, game-out basis. Uh, Tremont Robinson-White, who had been red-hot going into the, the Memphis game, has really struggled the last two games shooting the basketball. He goes 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 4 from three-point range against SMU. Zero points for Tremont, um, which was a disappointing outing after the way he's played lately. Brandon Suggs plays 30 minutes, scores 7 points, had 3 blocks, 2 steals. And six rebounds along with two assists. So a solid night for, for Suggs. Uh, Batumba Baruti struggled last night. Just four points and two of seven from the field. So, you know, just not enough offensively. Again, it was basically the Jaden Gardner show. And it's a broken record, it seems like. You know, we know Jaden Gardner is going to get his more times than not. Can the guys around him shoot well enough to propel ECU to victory? I mean, you you held an SMU team down that was averaging 75 points a game. You know, you hold them to 71 at the end of the day, and, and really if it would have been a tighter game at the end, uh, ECU probably would have held them in the 60s. I mean, you, you played more than well enough to win defensively. You just have to execute on the offensive end. And uh, extremely frustrating there. Uh, the Memphis game, going back to Saturday real quick, again, 23-9 and for Jaden Gardner, so that's two games in a row he's done that. Uh, but the only other player in double figures was Brandon Suggs. He had 10. And nobody else had more than eight. And Tremont only had five. So uh, Tremont's production has fallen off a little bit the last few games. Maybe that's a result of Tristan playing more on the ball. So, uh, But, again, that worked against Houston. And Tremont had a good game against Houston. So they, they've got to figure out something offensively. And, again, I don't think it's very hard. I think it's just shots going in. A lot of it's confidence. And ECU right now is playing good enough team basketball from a defensive perspective, and I think they're moving the ball well enough that if they make their shots, they can clearly beat anybody in the conference. But unfortunately, more times than not, as evidenced by their 2-8 and eight conference record, they're not making enough shots in this league. Like Jaden Gardner said last night, it's a shot-making league. Either you make them and you win, or you don't and you lose. And right now, ECU is losing a lot more than they're making. Again, 8-8 eight and eight on the year. Two and eight in conference play for East Carolina, and um, I guess the good news is, much like going into the Houston game, as ECU goes into this two-game set versus Temple, they're due once again to make some threes. But you, you can't, you just can't go one of thirteen, two of fourteen, two of fifteen, etc. I mean, those numbers. I don't care if you're Gonzaga, whoever. If you shoot that poorly, you're not going to win. And, uh, you know, Memphis has a great defense, so you credit them. SMU, not exactly known for its defense. Um, that's a team you have to execute against offensively. So uh, a disappointing few games for ECU. You know, the Memphis game, you don't really expect to win that, and you were a double-digit underdog. In SMU, you were a six-point home dog, but I thought SMU did not play a clean game. Um, they were without their head coach for the sixth consecutive game. They had alternating win. They had alternated wins and losses really over the past seven games. I think entering last night, so you had an opportunity to get another fairly big win at home, and to have that opportunity slip through your grasp when SMU didn't play its best, I thought was was frustrating for ECU. And um, you could kind of sense that in the post game, uh, the, the 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 excitement of the Houston win has unfortunately worn off a little bit as the Pirates have. Now lost, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their last eight games with that one win being over the number five team in America. Who would have thought that? So uh, 
just a uh, just an unfortunate stretch here for ECU basketball. You know, you look at the numbers, conference only compared to the total numbers, and it's 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 pretty staggering the difference. ECU overall is shooting 31% from three-point range as a team, closer to 34, 35% in non-conference play. But in conference-only play, ECU is shooting 27.6% as a team from three-point range, which is right around last year's numbers, just just not good enough. Opponents in conference-only play are shooting 34%. I mean, that is a stark, stark difference. And we talked about it going into the season. The biggest question for ECU, I know we've been hammering this point home, is the three-point shooting. And unfortunately, you know, ECU didn't really add any three-point shooters this offseason. And they they were banking on guys improving. They did seem to improve with knocking down shots in non-conference play, but unfortunately, since we've gone into conference play, it's reared its ugly head, and the Pirates continue to to miss too many open shots. And when you have one of the premier players in the post in the conference in Jaden Gardner, and you can't supplement that with outside shooting, it's frustrating because Jaden's in his junior year now. You know that window is only going to be open so long. So. Uh, we got a couple of questions on the Hoist the Colors message board that I want to get into, um, specifically about the kind of the future uh, guys coming in, the three-point shooting, etc. Before we dive into that, let's take a quick break here from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We'll dive into your questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, back on Hoist the Colors. Uh, first question from ECU Pirates backwards. He says, what would you do with the basketball roster between now and next season? Uh, for me personally, I really like the guys that Dooley and company have already signed. Uh, Alexis Reyes, a three-star wing. Uh, R.J. Felton, the, the talented guard out of South Carolina. And Tay Mosher, a good shooting uh, forward stretch forward out of Texas. So you're going to add some perimeter shooting in this recruiting class. I think that's a big difference from um, for this coming year's class as opposed to the the incoming class we had for 2020. So I think that's a big deal. Uh, so that's three scholarship kids. You're at 12 scholarship guys right now because, of course, unfortunately, Derek Kwanzaa has left the team. Um, so you're down to 12 scholarship guys. You got some seniors. You got to make a decision with who have an extra year of eligibility. You know Tyree Jackson, JJ Miles, Batumba Baruti, and Edra Luster are the four seniors. You know for me, 
Uh, guys have made improvements, but I think if you're looking to make the jump going into year four, you know, I would try to bring back J.J. Miles and Baruti in particular, uh, for sure. You know, Jackson, really good defensive player, but I don't think he's a, a make-or-break guy. You know, if he wants to come back and there's room, I don't have a problem keeping him, but I don't think he's a must-return. Uh, you know, Edrew Luster, I think, has improved, but isn't. You know, you already got Luigi DeBeau, you got Charles Coleman in the program, so I don't think you need three seven-footers with the way college basketball is going. So I would let those two guys go, open up some some space there. I mean, that would make room for the three scholarship guys incoming. Uh, beyond that, I make sure that I keep the core guys together, obviously, which this is easier said than done because these players are going to be try to be recruited by other teams. But Jaden Gardner, Tristan Newton, Brandon Suggs, J.J. Miles, Tremont Robinson, uh, definitely Baruti if possible, uh, even though I don't think he's a must, but also Noah Farrakhan because I think he still has massive upside. Uh, I believe that right there is six or seven guys um, that, to me, you got to keep. And then, you know, Coleman and Luigi, you need at least one seven-footer, preferably two so they can practice against each other and you have some depth there. So that gives you, you know, seven or eight. You add in the three incoming scholarship kids, that gives you 11. And then you still have room to kind of add some more. You know, the Pirates are, in my opinion, I think they need a, another guard who can really create his own shot along with making three-point shots. I think that they could add a, a transfer. If they could add a transfer impact guard, who can just score at all three levels. And again, this is much easier said than done because they need to, because everybody in college basketball is looking for this type of talent. But if they can add an impact guard to pair along with the comment, the improving shooters that are coming in and Jaden Gardner coming back, I think that changes the dynamic of your team entirely. They just have no real consistent guard scoring right now. You know, Tristan Newton was supposed to be that, but he has unfortunately had a bit of a sophomore slump. Tremont Robinson is more of a shooter and a distributor than a guy who's going to take it to the hole and score off the bounce a whole lot. So they could really use a guy that can score off the bounce and shoot when he's open. But particularly a guy who can create off the dribble would really be a, a plus add. So to me, I would add that. I would also try to add a, uh, a bouncy, lengthy power forward type. You know, someone in a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, to 6'9", range who can play above the rim you know ECU right now has trouble rebounding the basketball they don't really play above the rim so I think those are the two key areas I want to see added along with the core of the team returning um, and again these are tough tough pieces to find because everybody in college basketball wants a bouncy athletic forward who can do some different things along with of course um, a guard who can distribute and create so those are the, the couple of things that I would like to see personally We'll see if uh, if the coaching staff can get that done once the offseason hits. But they're in a position right now where they can take a transfer because the APR is improved. They don't have to worry about guys coming in, not going to class, etc. They can afford to take a few hits there. If a guy is not, maybe maybe if he has an under 2.5 GPA, but he's got to transfer out, you know, it's not ideal. But ECU is in a position now where they can take those hits. Whereas when Dooley got the job, he was not. All right, next question from Yarum. Is it just a lack of confidence on the offensive side of the ball for this team? It seems like it's every game we are on the wrong side of these scoring runs and we are getting open looks to score, even inside. 
you know, me personally, I do think a lot of it is confidence. I, I think a number of these guys, you know, from previous struggles in their college careers or combined with the fact ECU has never really won uh, in basketball, I think unfortunately that does affect the team's confidence when things start to go bad. You've got, unfortunately, a losing culture at ECU over the history of its program, and it's really tough to break that. The mindset is not easy to break. You know, I think Joe Dooley and company, they are an absolute grinder of a staff. You know, they work harder than anybody I've been around for ECU basketball, but, you know, the toughest thing to fix is that mindset. And, you know, I think, too, obviously you got to bring in talented shooters, talented players. That plays a big role in it, too. But, um, you know, there is a difference when you're wearing ECU on your jersey versus Memphis. You know, those Memphis players, unfortunately, they go into a game against ECU and they say, you know, we can't lose to ECU. That's how they look at it. We're not going to lose to ECU on our home floor. ECU probably unfortunately thinks, hey, we're East Carolina. Are we really going to win this game at Memphis or are we going to screw it up? You know, as much as I hate to think guys think like that, I think that's a reality. Uh, that's why tradition and, and sports mean so much. I, I think the mindset, the culture, et cetera, all plays a big role. And, you know, kind of going away from your original question a little bit, but I do think all that leads to, to lack of confidence at times, especially like when they're missing shots. It just seems to snowball. They have to find a way to get over that. And, um, you know, I noticed some guys, especially around the rim, it seems like they kind of rush for whatever reason. They're shot around the rim instead of, you know, not taking your time, but they don't. They, they just don't seem very composed. A few guys on the team, when they're at point blank range, they kind of rush after getting the ball in good position when the, maybe they can just catch it, set their feet, and then go up strong instead of just trying to rush it. So, um, again, things that they just got – you can't miss layups. You can't miss as many three-pointers as they did. And I do think it is a confidence thing, and it's unfortunate, but that is the reality of the situation. All right, moving on, uh, ECU Jackie Moon, he's got five questions. First and second question, what do you think of Joe Dooley's offensive sets and how open do you think he is adjusting to them? Um, You know, I think Dooley's offensive sets are fine. I think he has adjusted what he runs. I'm not going to say I'm a basketball expert, but I think he has adjusted his offense around Jaden Gardner. You know, he was – you look back at his offenses at Florida Gulf Coast, they are – they do rely a lot on on the three point shot and on um, fast place play, etc. I do think he has adjusted some things to go to more of a, a post player at times. In Jaden, um, they do find ways to get him isolated, to get him going in the paint on the perimeter, driving, etc. So I think they do some really nice things for Jaden. Uh, I, I think the offensive sets work a lot. How often does ECU have open threes that they just miss? I mean, how much better does it look when the guys just make the three-pointers? Now, you could go the opposite of that and say, well, if, if Joe Dula doesn't have the three-point shooters, does he completely change his offense um, instead of having his team take so many open threes and, and continue to miss them? I mean, you could make that argument, but I think as a coach, you do have to adjust to your player strengths to um, to be a, the best coach possible, but you also have to recruit players that fit your system. So I, I still think, unfortunately, in year three, they're still trying to find that. You know, going into year two, they blew up the roster. They tried to get guys who would more fit his style, and they missed on some really top-tier recruits that I thought would have made an immediate impact. So you're almost in year two of the rebuild, even though it's year three of Joe Dooley's time. 
Um, I think this recruiting class in particular is a major step forward for next season. And I think if they can add a transfer or two that fit his style and can make shots, I think you're going to see a much better offense going forward. Uh, number three out of the following group, who would you send on their way and who would you invite back? Uh, Tyree, J.J. Miles, Baruti, DeBoe, Coleman, James, Luster. Um, for me, I would bring back J.J. Miles, Baruti, DeBoe, and Coleman. Um, Tyree, solid player, has played a lot of college basketball, but I think is replaceable. Uh, again, if he wants to come back and there's room, I think he's a, a key energy guy you could bring back, but he's not a must. Miles James and Luster, you know, I appreciate their their contributions to the program, but if you if you upgrade the roster, they're having trouble playing now. If you upgrade the roster, how are they going to play next year? So I, I don't, I just don't see how that works. You know, Coleman and Debeau, they're not going to light the world on the fire. Uh, we still have yet to see Coleman progress at the rate many thought he would. Uh, the injuries have played a role in that. Same with Debeau, but I think it's still important to have you know, a couple seven-footers on the roster that can practice against each other and that um, that can match up with other teams' bigs if they have that that going. Number four, do you think the Luigi incident was intentional? You know, I, I can't say – I'll say this. Watching the video, I thought it looked intentional. You know, how something looks could be different from intent. Um, so I'm not going to 100% say Luigi deliberately stepped on uh, the the SMU player, I think it was Chargois' ankle, but it sure did look like it. He he looked down, and then he he looked up as he walked and stepped on his ankle. But then you know somebody did make a good point that he did kind of react as he stepped on his ankle in surprise. So it, I don't know if he looked down and misjudged where Chargois was, but certainly for whatever reason, it looked like he deliberately stepped on his ankle. And again, we'll. Perhaps we'll never know. You know, Luigi said, um, you know, some, he told somebody on the, the board that he did not do it, didn't know his ankle was there. So he was surprised that he stepped on it. But, you know, I don't expect him to come out and say or the coaching staff to come out and say, hey, Luigi definitely stepped on that guy's ankle because it's a dirty play if so. Um, to me, Luigi seems, you know, from interacting with him, seems like a great guy, super personable. I would be, you know, I was surprised when I saw it because I don't think that that's the type of play Luigi would make. Uh, not that I know him super well, but just from my brief conversations with him and from what I've heard about him. So, you know, I don't think it was super, like, I don't think he was out to injure the guy or whatever, but I don't know. You know, I, it's, it was a weird situation. Um, again, it looked intentional, but I hope it wasn't because uh, it is a dirty play, if so, and, and disappointing. Uh, number five, ECU Jackie Moon, his final question is, do you think the fans are giving too, Dooley too much grief when they had a bad COVID shutdown, then finally beat number five Houston, then hang tough with a much more talented Memphis team, and then are tied late with a much more talented SMU team? Or do you think it is fair criticism considering how bad we have looked in the last two games offensively, especially from three? You know, to me, I you know, that's a tough question to answer. I don't think, to me, I think it's more frustration with the program, like the rut the program is stuck in rather than a frustration at Joe Dooley. I think everybody knows that Joe Dooley is a good coach. His track, track record speaks for itself. It's just the program. Like you finally get a big win. You see the potential if this team is hitting shots. And it goes back to what it was previously. So, it, you know, right, right now, unfortunately, it looks like a fluke. Um, 
in terms of winning the game. They've certainly gotten better as a team since coming back from the Pauls each game. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I think Dooley, in my opinion, is always going to get all five years of his contract. He deserves that. He took over a complete build, not even a rebuild, a build. I mean, this program has never been good, unfortunately, outside of a flash in the pan or two. So, you, you know, it's so tough to recruit here. It's a, it's a, a tough job. You know, it's the toughest job Dooley's ever had. I give him a ton of credit for wanting to come back here and trying to build ECU into a winner. I still think they are much closer today than when he first took the job. I know at times it doesn't seem like that, especially when they're clanking threes and playing poorly on offense, missing free throws, throwing the ball out of bounds, etc. But I still think they are closer. Now, are they close to catching Houston, Memphis, SMU, Wichita State? on a game-in, game-out basis. Not really. I mean, those teams have better talent at this point. And it's going to continue to take multiple recruiting cycles, much like the one that Dooley is bringing in. I think this is the first class, especially if they can add another guy or two, where I have very little doubt about it being an AAC caliber class. You know, last year you, you didn't really need to add many guys, but they signed Farrakhan. And then uh, Kwanzaa was a wild card. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. You know, Farrakhan looks like he's got talent, but hearing some things in the industry when he signed, you know, there was a reason he was unsigned and, and led to ECU. But at least he has AAC caliber talent. There's zero question about that. It's just more, more of a matter of work ethic with Farrakhan at this point and uh, kind of what he's doing uh, with his habits. But uh, I think the, the 2019 class when they signed 11 guys – you know, they missed on some, some AAC caliber players like Brandon Rochelle, who's starring at Tulsa right now. Tyson Jolly, who's a beast for SMU when he's played. Um, there are multiple other guys in this league that have, that are playing for other teams. The ECU recruited that cycle. You got a Hadim C at Ole Miss, who would have been an upgrade over all the bigs ECU has now. So they're going after the right guys. I think in this recruiting class, they really hit on some right guys. And I think if they can continue to hit on two or three each of the next few years under Dooley, I think eventually they'll continue to close that gap and then they'll start winning more of these games because they'll make more shots. I just think it's that simple. So uh, I don't think the returning cast of players has made the leap that the coaching staff was hoping for going into this season. Part of that may be due to COVID. Part of it, maybe they're just not as talented as the rest of the league, but um, you know, we'll see how they finish. I, I don't think it's fair to criticize Joe Dooley for, in terms of his job security. I think maybe you can criticize some of the the, the roster construction, et cetera. You know, like having four seven footers or and adding the Kwanzaa when maybe you didn't really need to, et cetera. Um, but I still think he's the right man for the job, and I just think people need to continue to be patient. Uh, it's just a a total build. They're getting closer. They just had one of the best wins in school history. I think. Even though it, it was kind of fluky due to the shooting, I also think ECU right now is good enough in other areas of the basketball game that when they do shoot, they they can have wins like that. So now they just got to continue to continue that phase of things and find a way to shoot the ball better with uh, more incoming talent. So I hope that answered your question. I don't know if it really did, but that's kind of my thoughts on the situation. Uh, AVL Pirate, he says, do you think that R.J. Felton, Tay Mosher, and Alexis Reyes will come in and make an impact next season? Or do they get lost on the bench for a year like Noah Farrakhan has? You know, a lot of it depends on how they transition. I mean, Farrakhan, we know he has the talent. Um, 
You know, he's stuck behind two point guards right now with Tristan Newton and Tremont Robinson White. That has a lot to do with the situation. You know, it's tough to play three point guards consistently. You know, judging from Joe Dooley's answer last night, Noah clearly has some things to still to work through to run the offense at an efficient level. I think he could really make a big jump from year one to year two. I haven't seen any of these any of these guys play in person, you know, so it's tough for me to sit here and say they're going to come in and make a big impact. I mean, from what I've heard, I would be surprised if if they don't play uh, a decent amount next year. I mean, especially, um, you know, you look at a guy like Reyes, who's kind of a combo forward who can step out and shoot the three, can do some things around the basket. Same thing with Mosher, who's more of a pure three-point shooter, can also score around the basket, rebound pretty well. And then Felton, who's who's really just a downhill guard, kind of built like a freight train for a for a combo guard. I think they all have a role next year. I mean, especially if they can shoot the ball like their reputation claims. I mean, if they can shoot the ball, then put them on the dang court so somebody can shoot the ball and make shots consistently. So are they going to come in and play 35 minutes right away? Probably not. But I think they're an upgrade in the shooting department, and ECU needs it. I mean, for example, an R.J. Felton, if he can shoot the ball consistently – which right now no ECU guard can do. How do you keep him off the court? Um, he, he's long. He seems long and strong enough to guard a lot of positions on the court. He can finish in the paint. He can shoot from three. Mosher can step out and hit the three as a guy who can contribute in the paint. You know, Reyes. I would like to see more film of him to know exactly what skill set he has, but we know he can shoot it as well. So I think you're adding three players who can contribute next season and make an impact. Now, will they be all conference guys? You know, probably not, but uh, definitely I think we'll upgrade the their overall roster and especially the offense, which is uh, badly needed at this point in time, as everybody realizes. All right, so there's all your questions on Hoist the Colors this morning. Again, EC will be back at it. Temple on Thursday and then again on Saturday. On the road on Thursday and then home on Saturday. Both are ESPN Plus broadcast. Some winnable games coming up. Temple is a team that has been very up and down this season. They've been hit with some COVID deals as well. You know, they've got a guy to Kinston, North Carolina, and Damian Dunn, who's one of their leading scorers. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays against East Carolina. But some winnable games. You would at least like to get a split out of this series. ECU has never won at Temple, so it's going to be a tough game, but a winnable game. And then, of course, they usually play Temple pretty well at home, so we'll see what happens on Saturday. But uh, a winnable doubleheader. We'll see what happens. We'll be back with you uh, probably after the weekend to talk about ECU Temple. And then next Monday will be the start of game week for ECU baseball as we quickly close in on the February 19th season opener for uh, the Pirates as they get set to host Rhode Island and start the 2021 season. All right, thank you guys for tuning in to the latest edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. We'll be back with you sometime this weekend or early next week. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for tuning in and for asking great questions.